Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. So glad to be here. So I, I think I have a treat for you this month. You know, Ernest Holmes, the founder of Science of Mind, put out a list of spiritual principles, and there's one that we've been neglecting. There's one of the spiritual principles that he clearly talks about in the Science of Mind textbook and so on uh, that we seldom take head on. And so this month, we're going to be working on the spiritual principle of focus. And so let me quickly just get you up to date in case this isn't one that you have maybe even heard of before. I'm reading right out of the Science of Mind textbook. He says, we should understand the true meaning of concentration. So many different ideas have been uh, put forward that need a great deal of confusing results. To concentrate means to bring to a center, and in mental science, it means focusing our mental attention on some definite and desired thought, image, idea, or thing. So it means focusing the mental attention on some definite and desired thought, image, idea, or thing. Of course, we're dealing with the idea that our thoughts become things. The spirit of the thing is in the thought. This, in its essence, is both law and cause. Our concentration of thought is not an effort to compel, but it's the desire to permit the stream of creative energy to take definite form. Now, you might be more familiar with this also portrayed as the law of gratitude. So if you remember right, the law of gratitude says that for which I am grateful for increases. And basically, that's just a, a small part of this law of focus. What we focus on will increase. Now, you might be asking, we're going to spend a month on that. You just gave it to me, <laughs> right? What's the big deal here? And, and I would ask you, though, how's it working? Because I certainly know in my life I've concentrated, I've focused on money plenty of times, and yet I don't know about you, but I'm not a millionaire yet. And I know I've focused on love well, oh my gosh, it's the subject of almost all my prayers every day is love. It's uh, one of the things that's truly dear to me. And although my primary relationship is filled with love, I've got to tell you, there are other relationships I have that could use a little work. So why is this law of focus seemingly working sometimes but not every time. Why is it that it's difficult for me to put this law of focus really to work in my life in a way that has positive, long-lasting, and cohesive results? Well, one of the reasons is we have some lies that we tell ourselves. This month we're using a great book. It's by Gary Keller called The One Thing. And uh, of course, this was on the New York Times bestseller list for months. But in the business section, and so you might say, well, why are we using a, a, essentially like a book for MBAs or, or people wanting success in business? Well, we're using it because it absolutely gives you the best, foremost application of this law of focus. 
And today we're going to talk about some of the things that keep us from using the law of focus. And of course, I think I should start with a joke. If our subject today are these great lies that that keep us from using the law of focus, here's a joke that goes with it. So Jim had an awful day fishing on the lake, sitting in the blazing sun all day without catching a single one. On his way home, he stopped at the supermarket and ordered four catfish. He He told the fish salesman, pick four large ones and just toss them to me, would you? Why do you want me to toss them to you? Well, because I want to tell my wife that I caught them. (laughs) He says, well, okay, but I really suggest not the catfish, but the trout. Well, why the trout? Well, because your wife came in today earlier and said, if you should be here, she'd rather have trout for dinner. (laughs) And the... And that kind of sums up the trouble with telling yourself lies. There's a part of you that knows their lies. There's a a part of you that is using some of these six lies that we're going to talk about today to cover up something more fundamental that needs to be addressed. Okay, so what are these six fundamental lies that stand absolutely in the way of us using the law of focus? First, I think the best way to explain this one is who here has had a job where you have an inbox or an in-basket that someone drops off work to you in? Has anyone had one of those kind of administrative assistant jobs or jobs where you have an in-basket or an inbox? Well, when I first started with the telephone company, I was a stenographer. And so the boss was doling out the work. And sure enough, she'd walk by and put something in my in-basket. And generally, it's four or five pieces of paper. And then uh, every now and then, she'd come in like this. (laughs) Thump. And it'd be like 500 orders that I would have to type up. And the thing about it was, of course, this is my job. I can't really say no. And I got to do it all. It's all there for me to do. Now, in a job, this may be reality. In your life, this is a lie. But often we treat it as though it were the truth. Don't people have the tendency of handing off things to you? Don't you fill your metaphysical inbox with all kinds of things? Your friends want you to cooperate with them in doing things that are maybe they're more interested than you're interested in. Our, our loved ones set us up to mow lawns and wash cars, and, and whether we value it ourselves highly or not. Nonetheless, we take it all in and we do our best because we're good people and we, we want to please the people around us. We, we have that sense of doing our bit for society and for our families and for the places we work in. And everything, of course, has a high priority, doesn't it? I've got to do it all so everything has an equally high priority. And I got to tell you, this is crazy making. If you find yourself 
in that position is crazy making for a number of reasons. For one, you've done it to yourself. We might like to blame all this work on other people, but you're the one that said yes. <laughs> you're the one that allowed that to come into your inbox, whether you thought it was a good idea or not. You were the one that picked it up. And it's also crazy making because the chances of you being able to do it all with any level of quality or any level of heartfelt joy is close to zero. So the first lie is you have to do all that stuff. The first of the great lies is that everything that is handed to you must be done and must be done well. If we want to make true progress in the world, we need to be in charge of those in-baskets. We need to be the ones that says, this just isn't reasonable. It's not one of my priorities. It's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. It's a lovely thing, but it's not my thing. I'll even help you find someone else uh, to work on this with you if you like, or I'll point out courses you can take so you can learn to do it yourself. Uh, but the truth is, I'm not going to take this on. My plate is full. And for the stuff that I actually have on my plate, the other piece of it is I can renegotiate that. I have the power of saying, you know, two years ago I said I would do this, and look at what I've accomplished so far. I think it's time to renegotiate this, right? <laughs> if I ever get to it, it's probably going to be a mess. So maybe we need to renegotiate this. The second lie that we tell ourselves, and it actually is a bit related to the first one, we believe that multitasking works and is possible. Now, for those of you who have modern computers, you know that they have more than one core processor in them. Modern computers can actually do more than one conscious thing at a time. We, however, are limited to only one conscious processor. Now the unconscious part of ourselves will keep our heart beating and our blood pressure regulated and all that kind of good stuff. Luckily I don't have to think about, wait a minute, wait a minute, I need to raise my heart rate a little bit, right? I mean luckily I don't have to think about that, but the things that go on in our conscious brain, the decision making and creative parts of ourselves, only one thing at a time. And scientists have shown that every time we do context switching, every time we switch from one focus to another, we lose about five minutes. The other thing that we do is we get less able to do it well every time we do a context switch. Now think about this for a minute. It means that, it, let's say you're uh, just reading a book, right? And the phone rings. So context switch. You, you've switched over. It takes about five minutes to really get involved in what's going on the phone. Oh, I'm supposed to pick up groceries tonight and whatever, and yeah, I'll make a mental note of that. You just lost about five minutes. You hang up the phone. You go back to reading your book. Oh, wait a minute. Where, where was I? I better go back like the previous. I think it was here, right? You've just lost 10 minutes because of one phone call. And the studies have also shown that because of the context switching, we're actually less apt to remember the details that are important. It's like what was right in the foremost of our brain has been sent a little further back and we're apt to get some of the important information wrong. So for those of you where context switching is part of your everyday life and your job, 
oh my gosh, I have bad news for you. It's probably super frustrating. Like I'm telling you something new, I know. But for those of you who, who really have to context switch a lot, you are much less likely to be successful in your jobs than people who don't have to do it that much. You are much more likely to have quality problems with what you're trying to produce. And it's apt to be crazy making. Back to that idea of think your job, your life will just start seeming overwhelming because you're losing a lot of the activity that normally would be there if you just did one thing at a time. Now, I know it's impossible to do our whole life one thing at a time, but if you can minimize those context switches, your life will seem so much more easy. The third thing, the third lie that we tell ourselves is that if only I had some extra discipline, things will go better. And by discipline, I mean that kind of mental muscle of just stick-to-itiveness and, uh, you know, I'll just, uh, I'll just get her done. I'll just channel my inner resources and, and complete that. Well, if you have that feeling, first of all, I would suggest you're having to find that discipline because you're doing something that maybe you shouldn't even be doing to begin with. Discipline is not needed to make great accomplishments. In fact, you might argue that joy is the factor of making great accomplishments. When you are doing something that gives you bliss, when you are doing something where you see a purpose, when you're doing something that you feel alive in, you are going to be wildly successful. Something that needs your discipline Probably not so much. And it's really the call to question, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing it for the right motives? Uh, is it the right time to be doing it? Right? It isn't about finding the muscle to do it. It's really questioning, is this something that I should be doing? So the great lie is, I just need more discipline. Another great lie is related to it, and that's willpower. Have you ever found yourself, and usually, uh, usually we're pointing the finger, but occasionally uh, the finger goes inward too, but have you ever found yourself saying, uh, you know, just a little more willpower and she could give up smoking, I know she could. Just a little more willpower around doing her homework every night, and I just know that my son could get straight A's. It's just a, a willpower issue. Or you look at someone who maybe has picked on a little weight and you say to yourself, this is just a willpower issue. Well, first of all, willpower itself is one of the great lies. Because uh, willpower works, but it's always willpower around your desire. Right? So you, you have all of these lovely plans around, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe a new eating program. And then the waiter comes by, and you do great through dinner. And then the waiter comes by and says, would you like to see the dessert tray? And it is your willpower that is saying, hell yeah, I want to see that dessert tray. Right? That's your willpower. <laughs> your will is powerful. <laughs> So when we think that we're going to deny what we desire by using our willpower, total fantasy. It's a total fantasy. You will always allow your willpower around what seems pleasing you to triumph. And to not do that 
your body and your mind will start doing all kinds of crazy things. It, it, right? H- have, you, have you not experienced that? You'll suddenly find candy bars in pockets that you didn't know were there. You'll, you'll suddenly find infinite excuses not to go to the gym, even though you actually paid for that membership finally, and even though you met with the personal trainer and he had all these great ideas, right? Suddenly, well, I don't feel so good today, and it won't hurt to miss one day, right? <laughs> or, oh my gosh, I, I, I hear they cleaned out the swimming pool, and I don't want that extra chlorine. I'll just wait a couple days till it's dissipated a little bit. (laughs) It's not about willpower and it's not about discipline. It's about what we're doing. Is it the right thing that we're doing? All right, two more of the things that stand in our way. And this one might be controversial. I'm expecting a couple of you to come up after the service and say, Larry, we need to talk about this idea of balance. Because I hear people say, well, really what I need to do is put my life in balance. First of all, I want to ask you, so tell me more about it. What the heck is a life in balance? Is it 50% of the time uh, living in joy and 50% of the time living in pain? Is it, is it 70% of the time at work and 30% of the time on vacation? Exactly what's the recipe for this balance thing? What, what are you balancing? Again, I don't think that it's actually balance that you want. I think it is a meaningful life. And so when you find yourself feeling like, oh my gosh, my life is totally out of balance. It seems like all I do is work. I'd like you to ask a different question. What would bring meaning or purpose to your life? Because I would guess if you're feeling out of balance, it's because you're doing too much of things that don't have anything that you particularly value. It doesn't feel like you're fulfilling a purpose and it isn't meaningful to you. That is typically what will cause you to feel out of balance. So it's more than just some magic of taking a week off because you come back from vacation and there are those same situations again, right? You'll feel happy for a week while you're on vacation, but you haven't really changed the things that are causing this appropriate sense of not being who you ought to be. The last thing, and this one, this one maybe is more obvious, but another lie that we tell ourselves is that small is better. And I was uh, talking to one of my roommates about the sermon for today and, uh, and, and these six different ones, and she said, oh my God, I know exactly what you want. I worked for, for 20 years on a, on a, a First Peoples reservation, and uh, she said the, the young people on the reservation you know, will have a dream of something like being a doctor someday, and then they just throw that away. And they say, well, no, I, I'm going to scale that down I'm going to become, uh, get the training to be a CNA, a certified nurse's assistant. And then maybe someday, after a lot of experience, maybe, maybe then I'll become an RN. And, you know, uh, I doubt it's going to happen, but, but maybe. I, I mean, it's possible someone like me after that, uh, if somehow I get rich and can go to medical school, then I would be a doctor. Do you see how purposefully we have scaled our dream down? 
And, and, and I get it. I get that we like to be able to know exactly what the next step is. I, I can see that a young person would say, I can sign up for this class and I can become a CNA. It's right here in the community college uh, bulletin, CNA training. It's Thursdays at one o'clock. It ta- costs $500. I can sign up for that. I have no idea how to become a doctor. That seems so far out of touch for me. I'm here to tell you, God doesn't recognize the size of your dreams. God can as easily provide you with whatever is necessary to become a doctor as God can provide you with what is necessary to become a certified nurse's assistant. God does not care. This is the God that created the heavens and the earth. This is the God that moves up mountains and creates the hurricanes we're seeing on the East Coast right now, right? Big things are no sweat to what spirit can do. And so when we limit our dreams, when we pull them back, when something small becomes the focus of our dream and our intent, it is unlikely that we will move beyond that. So those are the things that are standing in our way, and I want to go over them uh, really quickly again. The first one that we just take what's given us, that ever-flowing in-basket situation, that multitasking is, uh, is doable, that all I need is either discipline or willpower to muscle my way through something, The fact that I want a balanced life rather than a life that has meaning and that uh, the good always is small, that if I keep my dreams small, I'll be able to enact them. These, my friends, are the reason that I'm not a millionaire already. These are the reasons that my dreams of having 100% loving relationships have not come to fruition. And I would suggest to all of you, if there is anything on your kind of metaphysical plate of your dreams or your ambitions or your intentions, whether it lay along the lines of business, which is covered super well in this book, or whether it's along the lines of relationships or abundance in general or some of the dreams that you've had about being an, an author or a musician or like you name it, My guess is that one of these six lies, and probably more than one, because I had to do a little bit of an inventory, and I found three in there that are pretty active in me, including the first one. Here's yet one more thing in your in-basket. I went, oh, shoot. Oh, holy shoot. There I am. (laughs) So this is what we're going to be working on this month. There's a good news and a bad news story about this month. You just got all the bad news. (laughs) So moving forward, it's going to be can-do. And starting next week, we're really going to dig into the spiritual law of focus. But I want you to consider these things that can stand in the way of it. Because you'll run across a case where you'll say, you know, I'm really focused on this, and yet it's not doing what Larry promised would happen. And then it'll be time to see, are one of these six things really standing in my way? Well, I'm going to close today with a quote from, uh, from the book and a prayer. You have only so much time and energy, so when you spread yourself out, you also spread yourself thin. You want your achievements to add up, but this actually takes 
subtraction and not addition. Narrowing your focus is a simple approach to extraordinary results, and it works. It works all the time. It works anywhere. It works on anything. Why? Because it has only one purpose, to ultimately get you to the point. When you focus as much as possible, you'll be staring at the one thing, and that's the point. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness, one joy, one peace, one love. There is only this one thing in its uh, infinite abundance, only God, only spirit. And I know that means me. I know that I'm part of the consciousness of spirit. And I have the, the keys to that kingdom. God's love is mine. God's abundance is mine. God's joy and peace and love, all of it, truly mine to have and to share and to explore. And what I know is, as I begin focusing my desires more narrowly, as I begin picking and choosing the things that I actively spend my time and attention on, it's ever easier for God to reciprocate with that focus, bringing into view, bringing into manifestation that which I truly enjoy, that which I truly believe, that which I truly value. And so as I bring focus, God brings focus. And as it is true for me, I know without question that it's true for everyone, that each of us has the ability to, to unburden our lives from the things that we are not meant to do and bring our focus on the few key things that will change our world radically. And so for this, I give great thanks. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.